If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 58. Uh, Psalm 58, if you need a copy of the scriptures, there should be some in the pews and chairs in front of you. And welcome you to um, take that and turn to page 477. That's where you'll find uh, Psalm 58. Um, so yeah, take one of those Bibles. And if you don't have your Bible, check the lost and found. Maybe it's there. Uh, Psalm 58. Uh, maybe you could even take one. I don't know. There's no name in it. So we are in a sermon series through the Psalms this summer. We'll do a couple more and then we will pick up a study of Romans this fall. Uh, we at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church are committed to expositional preaching. And what that means is we want to take uh, what God's word says, you know, one book at a time, one phrase at a time and, and study and see what it has to, to teach us. Uh, but today we come to a, a psalm that, that many, including myself, <laughs> would rather not teach and preach, much less read. Uh, this is a, a tough psalm that we come to next in our sermon series. Uh, it's, it's not one of those psalms that we can, you know, spray down with Lysol and hope to sanitize it a little bit this morning. Uh, it's a raw psalm. It's, it's, it's violent. It's real. And so when we say that the psalms deal with real life in the real world that we live in, this fallen world, we're not just talking about emotional distress and anxiety that, that many of us face. Sometimes there is physical distress. There is violence. There is real evil that we face. And this psalm in particular is calling for God to make a swift, swift and decisive judgment upon uh, his enemies and, and our enemies. And so we have to ask as we come to a psalm like this, is, is this something that we can pray? Is this something that we can use in our own lives? Is it right for us to rejoice when we see the wicked punished for their wrongdoing, well, these are the type of issues that Psalm 58 is dealing with. Psalm 58 is what we would call, what the theologians call an imprecatory psalm. I'm going to define that for you here in a little bit. But the imprecatory psalms, again, are not ones that we usually would choose for our quiet times. And yet, they are in the Holy Scriptures. God has ordained that we read them, that we study them, that we understand them and apply them to our Christian lives because God has, uh, he has inspired them. Uh, all scripture is God breathed. All of scripture we believe is profitable. It's, it's useful for, for correcting, for teaching, for training in righteousness. And so we must read these Psalms. We must read these words and study them. Because it is God's will for our lives. He gave them to us. So hear now the reading of God's word. Psalm 58. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word. We are told it was to the choir master according to do not destroy a victim of David. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. 
They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops up its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Let's pray. Uh, merciful Father, help us now as we read, study, and apply your word. We confess to you that we are not drawn to passages like these in our Bibles. Uh, we confess to you that we want to ignore these parts of your words. We also confess to you that we are ignorant of these things. And so we need to be taught and discipled and guided in your righteous ways. So teach us now, Holy Spirit. Guide us into all truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in the United States of America, we are not currently under uh, the persecution or the threat of a foreign enemy uh, bearing down on us, trying to attack us. But I'd like for you to think about for a moment, what if you lived in Ukraine? Many of us know the atrocities that are going on in that country now. What if we were Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, not of Huntsville, Alabama, but of Mariupol, Ukraine. Put yourself in that city right now at this time with the Russian Empire bearing down upon your city. Imagine the constant barrage of, of bombs and missiles and shelling from an enemy on your own hometown. I think if we could put ourselves in that situation for a minute, we could read Psalms like Psalm 58. And I think it would take on a whole new meaning for us. We don't know the exact occasion for Psalm 58. We do know it is a Psalm of David. And so we can surmise that this is perhaps written during some of the persecutions and the sufferings and the attack that, that David experienced during his lifetime, particularly as he was being pursued and, and, and hunted by Saul and his generals, devising wrong and violence against David and his men. And so these Psalms are just reminding us of this constant barrage of threats and attacks and scheming and, and running that David experienced that, that moved him to, to cry out for vengeance, that moved him to, to cry out to God for justice and for rescue in his situation. Can you imagine being so weary from an enemy pursue you that you pray things like, God, tear out their teeth. Let them dissolve into slime like a snail. Now, I honestly, I've never thought that before, but it's a Bible expression. <laughs> that, that, that idea, this is the idea that's behind Psalms like Psalm 58. 
Psalm 58 is part of the genre of psalms that we call imprecatory psalms. Uh, These imprecatory psalms are a cry for justice and mercy, asking God to judge, asking God to punish his enemies and our enemies. And so an imprecation is a formal curse. It's pronouncing a curse or a judgment on someone. And so the imprecatory psalms are praying for the vengeance of God on evil and and on and asking him to, to vindicate the innocent. Again, when we read these things in our Bibles, places like Psalm 58 and others, uh, we may be surprised to find them. But consider this just for a moment. What if we didn't have these type things, these type words in our Bibles? Would we believe that there was a just and holy God if we did not have these type things written in our scriptures? Would we have hope for justice and for righteousness if there were not language and descriptions like these to help us understand how God will judge the wicked? These words, these hard sayings that we find in Psalm 58, they remind us. And we need that reminder that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And in this fallen, broken world, there are real horrors. There's real wickedness. There's real wrongs that we long to see righted. Psalm 58 reminds us of these things. And so what Psalm 58 is, it's, it's a prayer it's a, it's a cry for justice. It's a prayer for God to right all wrongs. And there is great comfort for us, the church. There's great comfort for Christians who pray like this and who understand this cry for justice. So I want us to look at this psalm and it's four parts. It's four different parts that we see here laid out in this psalm. And the first part, verses 1 and 2, we see a challenge. In the second part, verses 3 through 5, we see a charge. The third part, in verses 6 through 9, we see a curse. And then the last part, verses 10 and 11, we see the confidence that we are to have in God. So I got the four C's in this morning. I'm not sure that'll ever happen again. (laughs) First part there, verses 1 through 2, the challenge to the unjust rulers. The challenge to the unjust rulers. The Psalms begins with two rhetorical questions. Two concerns that David has as he cries them out in the form of a challenge to those who rule over the people with wicked hearts and with malice in their hearts. He says in verse 1, do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? I think that the better translation there, again we're going from Hebrew to English, but really I think it would be you rulers. Uh, He's not talking about false gods here. He's not talking about idols. He's talking about wicked rulers who are ruling the people uh, unjustly. So that that is who David is addressing here, these wicked men. And the challenge that he's He's issuing them in verse 1 is whether these rulers will, in fact, rule with justice and righteousness. Will they govern according to what is good and what is right? And then in verse 2, he answers this question with a resounding no. No, they will not. 
Their hearts and their actions are wicked. Their ways are violent. They practice injustice on their own people. And so here the context seems to suggest that rather than a foreign enemy bearing down on the people of God, this injustice, this violence that they are experiencing, it's coming from within. It's coming from their own people. The rulers of the people are the ones promoting violence and wickedness upon their own people. David here is describing a system of government, a group that is hell-bent on violence and evil. It is not a pretty picture being painted for us. So David is wrestling with this question. How do we respond to human authorities who do wrong? How are you and I to respond to human authorities who do wrong? Well, we don't have the answer just yet, so we need to keep moving through the psalm. Let's look at the second part, verses 3 through 5. And here we have the charge against the wickedness of man. The charge is now leveled against these sinful rulers, calling them, in fact, verse 3, wicked. Calls them wicked. This is the preferred term that the Bible uses to describe those who don't know the Lord, to describe those who are evil and sinful. And these verses go on to describe what their wickedness is like. They're, they're liars. They're like snakes spewing venom. Uh, what is worse, again, David may not be talking about a foreign enemy here. He may be talking about people, rulers, devising evil and wrongdoing on their own people. Uh, the ESV study Bible, I think, is helpful with a note that it has here. I like to consult it. Uh, I know many of you have that study Bible. It's a great study Bible. It says this. It says, they are Israelites who do not embrace the covenantal grace from their hearts. And thus, rather than devote themselves to serving the well-being of the community, they instead use their position to squeeze the life out of their fellow Israelites. So this is hard. It's hard to, to, to imagine this. It's hard to, to be in this type of situation where, where your own leaders, your own rulers are the ones squeezing the life out of you. Just like in our day and age when we see uh, government promoting evil or even worse when we see evil and injustice come out of the church because of sinful wicked rulers and we must pray for justice and righteousness in those situations he declares that their depravity their wickedness it was from birth and they are like snakes spewing their venom around well, does that remind you of someone else being described as snakes in the New Testament? Do you remember who our Lord Jesus called out as a brood of vipers and venomous snakes? It was not those people out there, was it? It was, in fact, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the people who were oppressing the people. So again, the question being wrestled with here is, how do we respond to human authorities that do wrong? How are we to react against this wickedness from within? We don't have the answer yet, so we must keep looking. Look there with me in verses 6 through 9. Here we see the curse against the wicked. The curse 
that David pronounces against the wicked. We now get into the imprecatory section of the psalm where there's a clear call uh, for judgment. The psalmist is crying out to God. He's praying to God for justice on the wicked, for God to judge the wicked. And he uses seven, seven different metaphors or, or, or word pictures to describe what that judgment might look like. So I guess this is like, you know, Christian cuss words, you know, Christian curses that are, that are given here uh, in, in, these, in these verses. Now, if you look down there through those, these are, these are not ones that we normally use, right? Break the teeth in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions. Uh, funny story in the first service, as soon as I said those words, a, a child pulled out a tooth, uh, lost a tooth. So... Uh, any other takers in this service? Uh, anybody want to vanish like the water that runs away? And my favorite, the snail that dissolves into slime. I mean, he's, he's letting them have it here, right? And then in verse 9, I have no idea what that means. Uh, find the first Israelite during David's age when you get to heaven and go, what does that mean? Uh, because we don't really know. But it was a curse and it was included here. Uh, pots feeling the heat of thorns, not... It's not coming to me. Uh, but these are, these, are, these are serious cries for judgment and justice. And so these, these word pictures that, that David uses, they're, they're, they're intense and they're a serious cry for, for punishment on the wicked. But there's some very important lessons for us to learn in these imprecations or these curses because these are not to be used for us to just go, uh, you know, throwing them out there just anywhere at any time. Uh, notice how these, these curses, these imprecations, they're reminders that it is God's prior, priority. It is the Lord's prerogative, not ours, to vindicate the innocent. It is God who must enact the justice, not us. It is to the Lord God Almighty that we must take our cry and our calls. David cries out to Yahweh God alone for justice, for him to enact righteousness. Another thing we notice about these imprecatory curses are that they are prayers of those who are really suffering. And they express the, the real pain, and the real trouble that we can sometimes experience in this life. And then these imprecatory curses, they're, they're prayers that the wicked would not have their power to harm the innocent any longer. These are righteous prayers. They're not words to be used against your favorite college football rival. These are words against those who are God's enemies and our enemies. So we see these words, we read this psalm, and, and, and I've thought about this. I hope you're thinking right now, do, do we pray like this? Uh, do, do we think this way? Again, we can't sanitize these verses. They are in our Bibles. They're God's word. And they're, but they're given to us to show us what it means, what it looks like to cry out to God for justice and for righteousness, especially judgment on the wicked. Who knows, brothers and sisters, who knows when we may find ourselves in a situation 
where we will understand exactly what, what this means and why we need these prayers. God has given them to us. And so this is what David pronounces upon the wicked. And then finally in the, the fourth section here, verses 10 through 11, we see the confidence in God for justice. Confidence, comfort if you will, in God Almighty for bringing about justice. And so this final section, verses 10 through 11, really bring it all into focus for us. Uh, here we see what a, what a godly and biblical response looks like. We see exactly how you and I are to respond to the wicked. But most importantly, most importantly, we see very clearly taught in the scriptures, taught in God's word, it is God who judges. It is God who is the judge. It is the Lord God Almighty whom we must and will who, who, who must and will bring about righteousness and justice and judgment over all the earth. These imprecatory psalms, they're not to be used for us to be vindictive. Rather, they're for worship. They're not to be used so that we can get at those who are aggravating us. These are words for worship. They're, give, they're, they're prayer language. Especially, we must learn here, it is God who will right all the wrongs in the final judgment. That's his job. And this teaches us, the church, those of us who are struggling in life, those who may be facing the violence of the wicked, that the final judgment, the final judgment in the new heavens and the new earth, it's a comforting doctrine. The final judgment is to bring comfort to the church. It is our hope, it is our confidence that God will right all wrongs, that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so when we pray things like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, we really need to put some color on what it means to pray your kingdom come. And Psalm 58 is part of that color. It's God judging the wicked. And again, this final judgment. It is a comforting doctrine. Because it teaches us, it promises us. That all will be well in the final judgment. But this psalm, like other psalms that we have studied... They are to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is in Christ that all will be made right. We believe and we profess that Christ was born, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. And, we forget this part, and he will come again to do what? To judge the living and the dead. And you see the one who's been given the prerogative to judge is the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father has put all authority in heaven and on earth under him. It is he who is the one whom will judge that Acts 17 told us about. And the good news though, maybe that's scary to you. Maybe that's frightening to you that Christ will come and judge and every secret thing, we've all got secret things, it's all going to be brought into light. Maybe that's a scary thing to you. But know this. If you trust in Christ, 
he is your Lord and your Savior, if you follow him, your judge is your Savior. Your judge is the one who can acquit you, and he's the one who has. That's what we mean when we say he has washed us in his blood. He has brought us nigh to God. Here's the great comfort for those who trust in Christ. The Lord Jesus will punish the wicked. If not in this life, it will take place in the final judgment. And also, according to his perfect justice, we are promised there will be a reward. There is a reward for the righteous. It's not winning the mega lottery. It's the promise of heaven, the hope of heaven, the reward of being with Jesus forever. So in Christ, we too can profess these final words of the congregation. Surely, surely, there is a reward for the righteous. Surely, surely, there is a God who judges on earth. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Pray with me. Merciful Father, teach us that psalms like Psalm 58 are for our good and your glory. Show us that our prayers need these words, need this language, need these feelings like we find in Psalm 58. Ultimately, O oh Lord, show us that you are good and that you are just and that you are righteous and that you will be glorified on earth through the final judgment. I thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Thank you, Lord, that you care about justice. Thank you, Lord, for showing us your great love for us by sending your one and only son to die for us. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.